Good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's good to see all of you guys here. I'm so excited because we're turning into the Christmas season. I love Christmas. It's my second favorite time of year. It's second only to Easter because I really get going when Jesus rises from the dead, right? I mean, that's just a whole other kind of thinking going on there. But I love Christmas, too. I love, I love thinking about Jesus because, you know, he had to come before he could die and rise again, right? So we need to celebrate his coming. We need to celebrate that. We need to, we need to think about the fact that Jesus wasn't here and then, boom, he was here. And how history was divided, pierced in half by the arrival of Jesus Christ. So we need to celebrate this as a church and I love celebrating. And I, I, I not only love what we do as a family of God, but I love the other culture. I actually like Christmas stuff. I like, I like the lights. I like all that stuff. I like the song. I love all that stuff. It's just fun. I love the parties. Because I'm a party animal. Look at me. I love getting together with people and doing the goofy Christmas stuff. And I love the presents. Don't pretend like you don't love the presents, right, Marge? We love the presents, right? I love when you give me presents. I, I mean, let's let that sink in for a second. I, 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 I know. I learned though. I have to be careful what I say I want for Christmas because I don't know. Twelve or fourteen years ago, we just moved on to the farm, and I remember saying around Christmas, I said, "I want a six shooter." I said that out loud. I, I don't want to kill anything. I just like shooting stuff. You know what I mean? I like setting up cans and targets and stuff and shooting and making a bunch of noise. Who knows what I'm talking about, right? I don't want to kill anything. I just want to pull the trigger on things that are already dead, right? And I said, man, I want a six-shooter. I live out on the farm now. And I, I was just kind of talking. Well, that Christmas morning, we came and had our Christmas service. Got in the car. It's freezing cold, I remember. Got in the car. And there was a gift in the car. All wrapped up real nice. And I went home and I opened it up. And it was a Ruger Red Hawk 45 six shooter revolver, baby. 45 caliber. I mean, that's 50 cents every time you pull the trigger on that dude, right? And it'll, you just got to get close with it, it knocks down everything. You got to be careful. What you, I love the presents. You love the presents, too. Yeah, some of you parents, you're already in that cycle, right, of getting stuff for your kids. You're listening to what they're saying they want, yeah. You're thinking about how much money we got, what can we do, right? Online, in the store, yeah, all kinds of things going on here, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, ah. You get the presents, you get them home, then you got to do something with them, right? You got to hide them. You got to wrap them up first, though. Trust you right. I mean, come on, parents. Don't be rook. Don't make the rookie mistake of just hiding them unwrapped. They're going to find them. They're going to look and they're going to find. That's Bible. Seek and you shall find. They're going to find them wherever you put them, so you better wrap them up. They're smarter than you are. Don't make the under-the-bed mistake. That's the first place they're going. Wrap them up, you got a chance. Although my wife Karen and her family, she to this day has the reputation of being the kid who could find them 
unwrap them, discover what they were, and rewrap them, but so well so that no one would notice. And she, she is such a great Christmas wrapper to this day. Her wrapping is impeccable, but it's for no other reason than her criminal past, you guys. She just... That's the dark side of her coming out, you guys. Yeah, she's a good rapper. For me, I don't want to know. Oh, I don't want to know till I open it. I like that moment, don't you? Like, <laughs> I like that. Get, I like that anticipation, and open it and going, oh, right. I like. I don't like. I don't like it when the gift is spoiled by my knowing about it. Well, I got bad news for you, because Pastor Rob and I, for the next four weeks, committed to spoiling your Christmas. We've been in the scriptures, we've been in prayer, and we know what God's getting you for Christmas. And we're going to tell you. We're going to spoil it for you. We're going to do it each week, and we're going to do it by way of something called an Advent wreath. This will mean something to some of you and maybe nothing to others of you. The word Advent is a church word that means coming. And what it does is it takes the four Sundays before Christmas to get our hearts ready to celebrate the coming of Jesus so that we don't miss it with all the other stuff, right? And so each one of these weeks has a candle and each one will... It's a little more formal than us. Okay, it's a lot more formal than us, but... It has symbolic meaning, doesn't it? There are different ways to look at these four candles. One of the ways that some churches look at these four candles is by attaching a scripture and a significance to each one. And each one talks about what God's getting you for Christmas. What God the Father wants to give you now for Christmas, okay? And so we're going to spoil that for you. And today we're going to be looking at the candle called hope, all right? invite the Lord. Father, we invite you to come now and take full charge of the rest of this time so that my words are useful in your hands, Lord. I didn't come to impress anybody. They didn't come to be impressed by me. They came for you, Lord. And so we just stop now and we invite you to come and speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. This candle of hope is attached to a uh, passage of Scripture in the book of Isaiah. It's, uh, whoops, wrong way. Isaiah chapter 2, 9, verses 2 through 7. Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. Isaiah is in your Old Testament if you're new. It's a pretty big book, so you can do the fan and you'll probably catch it. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah is a prophet who wrote, who prophesied something like 700 years before the birth of Jesus. So what he's about to talk about was seven centuries before Jesus even came, but he was talking about Jesus. And I want you to see this, and I'll show you why it brought great hope to the people of Israel when he said it. So Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoiced before you as people rejoice at the harvest. As men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat. Hang on to that phrase. That's more important than it might strike you. 
For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be dusted for burning, will be fuel for the fire, for to us a child is born. For to us a child is born. Church, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This was a prophecy of profound hope for the people of Israel. There's a couple different ways to date the book of Isaiah, but in either case, this prophecy happened when they were either under the, um, the impending conquest of, of the Babylonians or the Assyrians. In other words, something bad was about to happen to them. And you have to kind of keep in mind what's going on. Israel's a small nation with a small army compared to the other great kingdoms. And in that day, you had great kingdoms such as Egypt or Assyria or Babylon. And they had vast armies with military technology for the day. And so they would just expand by simply steamrolling over these small armies of these smaller nations. And they would conquer them. They would take slaves. They would exact taxes. They would deplete the resources of those for their own kingdom. And there was practically nothing a country like Israel could do about it. And so there was this big shadow over them. They were living in the land of the shadow of death. Hello, did you hear me say that? See, that's how they were living. They were waking up every day going, I wonder if today is the day that they're going to come in, kill so many of us, take what they want. They're living in that shadow. The shadow of death. They would have been a hopeless people, right? It would have been hard to have much hope if you had no way to defend yourself in a situation like that. And so into this, he says, but guess what? He says, I've got good news. God is going to send a conqueror. For to us, a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And his kingdom will reign forever and ever. He'll be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He's saying, God's going to send somebody who's going to deliver you. Now, that would have brought great hope to their hearts, wouldn't it? And not just a regular somebody, but mighty God somebody, he said. And, and this isn't somebody who's just going to come with a temporary reign of his kingdom. There will be no end, he said. So this would have brought great hope to these people in their hopelessness. As they feared what was impending, as they lived in that anxiety, that fear, they were given hope that God was going to do something. Now, fast forward to us. Here we are, living in the land of the shadow of death, yes? Did you not know you're going to die? I hope I didn't spoil anybody's day, but you're going to die. That you're, There's going to come a moment you're going to beat your last beat. You're living as it were, in the shadow of death, right? 
And that creates anxiety, yeah? You don't know when, but you know it's going to happen. And it creates uncertainty. And it creates fear. And it creates a sense of hopelessness. Sometimes you go, why bother? I'm just going to be worm food. You hear these phrases, right? It's a hopelessness. I got good news for you. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government, there will be no end. He's coming to rescue you from the predicament of the shadow of death through his son Jesus Christ who died on the cross, paid the penalty of your sin, rose from the dead, conquered death for you, and said, follow me. I know the way. Are you in or are you out? That's hope. You know, a person without that is hopeless. They know they're going to die. They have a sense that when their body stops, they don't stop. They have a worry about hell. They don't, they don't maybe think about it every waking moment, but there are times when it just really gets to them. That's hopeless. Well, how do you get hope in that? You come to Christ. You come to the Son. You come to the child who didn't stay a child who lived a perfect life, died a sinless death for us, yes, rose from the dead for us. You have faith in his name, your, your future is secured. That's hope. That's what hope is, right? That's really what hope is. It's about, we use the word hope wrong. So, I mean, not wrong, but the way we use it is the way we use it. But it's not how, how the Bible means hope. When we use the word hope today, we usually mean wish, Right? I hope I get that for Christmas, right? I hope I get that job. I hope I get that promotion. I hope she says yes, right? And that's a wish. That's we're projecting into the future, and we're saying, I hope, I wish that's going to happen when I get there. That's not how the Bible means hope. Hope means something different. Karen actually was using the word hope this week with me, and just something that we were doing this week, um, but in a more biblical sense, she was using the word hope when she was giving me a haircut. <clears throat> well, uh, she cuts my hair. Looks good, doesn't it? Doesn't look any different last week, really, does it? It's a good haircut. But I'll tell you what, I'm not paying 15 bucks for it. I don't care who you are. Once a month, I sit down, I get the little thing out, and I say, here you go, babe, and she just drives around until it's all gone, right? She just drives around. <laughs> I don't have to pay 15 bucks. Some people say, well, you should pay her money then. You should pay her 15 bucks. Karen's payment is the pleasure of living with me. You know what I'm talking about, right? That's payment and tip all rolled into one right here. But she, she was cutting my hair, and she was driving around, you know, with the clippers, and, uh, and I was sitting down in the chair, and when I sit down in the chair, she can just see the top of my head. When I sit down, she's 
And I got strays up here. It looks like I'm bald. I'm not. There are several hairs up there. There are. And they're up there. And she said, she said, you know, she says, whenever I look up here, these guys just seem so hopeful. <laughs> you know, they're, they're just standing there, right? They don't have any friends, right? They look around and they have no friends. They look down over the side. They say, they've got friends. She says, they just look so hopeful, like something's going to happen now, you know? That's what they look like up there, guys. When I go like this, they go, hmm. So they just look so hopeful. It's really a better, better, closer. We're moving toward the Bible understanding of hopeful. Hope really means this. Let's read this together. Hope is the present experience of profound confidence stemming from a knowledge of God's secure future for you. So hope isn't a wish that you hope, wish something happens later on. Hope is something you get now. Hope is for now. Hope is something that God gives you, and it's a secure confidence in the moment that takes away your fear of the future because you know God's, God has it, right? God has it. You see, these people, these, Assyrians, these Israelites, they were living in the land of the shadow of death. They had, they had no hope for the future because of the impending doom. But God came and gave them something in the moment, in the moment that gave them confidence. And so when you think, you know, the Bible says that we live with the hope of eternal life, Yes. What does that mean, the wish of eternal life? I see Christians walking it out this way. You're going to go to heaven when you die? Oh, I sure hope so. Like, I, you know, I, I'm wishing that on that day something good happens. That's not what the Bible says. It says we have the hope of eternal life, the superior confidence that when we get there, it's taken care of because of something that's already been done for us. It's already been done. I'm going to heaven when I die. I live in that hope, but it's not a wish. It's a confidence. Not by my works, lest any man should boast, but by the merits of Jesus Christ. He's already done that for me. So my future is secure. No worry. No worry. Supreme confidence. That changes the way you live. That's the hope we're talking about. God wants to give you for Christmas. Hope. How do you get this hope, you ask me? So I want to, I want to show you how you access that hope. I see a lot of believers who don't take what God puts on the table for them. They live their life kind of scrounging around when there's a table full of stuff for them. Hope is one of the things. You do not have to be hopeless. Whatever's worrying about you, for the, you're worrying about for the future, you don't have to be hopeless. It's on the table. You want to know how to get it? Say yes. yes. 
how do I experience this profound hope? One scripture. Read a your a Bible. When you think you've read a your Bible enough, then read it some more. Read the Bible. Get it inside of you. Get it in your head. Get it in your heart. The Bible is truth. Hopelessness is about a lie. Hopelessness is about worrying about the lie, right? You want hope? Get into the Bible. The Bible will give you hope because the Bible is true. Second is your experience. Encounter God. Pursue God. You know, these people come up here in the river and different stuff happens sometimes, right, Harry? I mean, sometimes it's amazing and sometimes it's gentle, but he's always here, right? And man, if our roles were reversed, I'd be you. I'd be up there every time somebody says the river's flowing. I'd be, whoa, I'm in it. I'd be in it. Because I want to experience God. When we get proud and we say, I don't need to go up there, I don't need to do that, we're cutting ourselves off from the experience of God or however you pursue God. But your experience in God will, will provide a forum for hope. You take the scriptures and your experience that, hey, wait a minute, I met with God. Then you get hope, right? One more thing is the testimony of others. The Bible says, since we are surrounded then by such a great cloud of witnesses, it says, right? And then that's in that Hebrews chapter about faith and all these, the testimony of faith. Why do you need to listen to each other in your walk with God? Because it gives you hope. Man, in home group, when you start hearing about stuff God's doing in people's lives, it gives you hope, right? I mean, if God's going to do it for that guy, look at him. He'll do it for me, right? <laughs> Scripture, experience, and testimony. Set, S-E-T. You'll never forget it. S-E-T. Scripture, experience, testimony. And you'll have hope. Give you some examples. Let's say you're a person who says, I want to go to college to become a whatever, but I'm concerned that I won't be able to pay for it. College is expensive, right? Some of you young people are sitting out there going, man, I want to be a whatever. You think you know what you want to be. You get an idea about that, but you understand how expensive college is and how poor your parents are, right? How am I going to do that? And So you start giving up on the on the future dream, the vision, because you don't think you're going to be able to pay for it, and you become hopeless, right? Is that a form of hopelessness, right? You've been robbed of a sense of your future in God. Young people, I want to give you some scriptures. Let's start with this. The Bible says in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and he'll give you everything you need. That's the Bible. That's truth. So here's a key point, you guys. If you want to go to college and be that thing that's in the blank, let God determine what's in the blank. Ask God, what do you want in my blank? I want to do that, God. And if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, he'll pay the bill. I don't know how. You don't need to know how. Just get moving. Philippians 4.19, Paul says that my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Just move in his direction. All right? How about this? Can you think of a time? Here's experience. Can you think of a time when God made it possible for you to do something you didn't know how you were going to do? Do you have any experience in that, young people? Where it's like you went on a mission trip, you didn't think you were going to be able to do you, you just could do something you didn't think you were going to be able to do. So you have screw up, sure, and you have experience. 
that this happens. You feel the hope coming? Didn't you just feel the hope coming in the room this morning? Huh? How about the testimony? Who here, raise your hand if you can, who here can bear witness to a time when God provided exactly what you needed, needed to be obedient to his will in your life? Look around, people. There's the testimony. If we had time, we could just we could spend all day telling that story, right? S-E-T, scripture, experience, testimony. I feel hopeful. How about this one? I'm worried that I'll be poor in my old age. You know, I'm going to run out of money. I'm going to outlive my money or whatever, however that rolls. Some of you have worked hard on your 401k. That's fantastic. Some of you haven't worked at all on your 401k, right? Both of those people worry. It's so weird. You know, you, you forget about it for a while, then you watch football on a Sunday afternoon, and those commercials come on from the investment companies that say, are you sure you've got enough money to live as long as you're planning on living, right? What's your number? Right? And you start, then it starts rolling around. Am I right? Honey, we're going to have to die soon. <laughs> Don't got enough money to go as long as I thought. And it starts rolling around. Am I right or am I wrong? You're right, right? Start thinking about it. Social Security even going to be here? I don't even know. And you get hopeless. You get hopeless. Let's deal with that. Let's, let's set it up. Okay? Psalm 37, 25. David said this. Here, this is all in one verse for you. He said, I was young, but now I am old. He said, and I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging bread. He says, God takes care of us. What's your hope? Is your hope in your number, in your 401k number, which can be erased with a mistake on a, on a computer key, right? Is that where your hope is? Or is your hope in the one who says, I'm going to pay for your food, dude? Right? How about experience? Has God ever come through for you in a time of material need? You know? Right? How about some testimony? Who here, raise your hand, can testify to the mysterious yet faithful provision of God in a time of need? Raise your hand. If it's just like, what? Right? Scripture, experience, testimony. One more. Some, someone I love is not a Christian. I'm afraid they will one day die apart from Christ. Somebody you love. They're rejecting Christ. They're not interested in what you're saying about the Lord. Living a life outside of the Lord. And, and you, you just kind of project into the future and go, what happens if they don't get to him before they die? And you know what happens. And so you're worried. Well, let's apply some scripture. Let's see if we can get some hope for that. 2 Peter 3.9. I love to pray these two scriptures together. 2 Peter 3.9 says this. The Lord is not willing, hold on to that willing, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Hold that first thought, all right? It's the will of God everybody comes to him, right? That's his will. Okay, now dial over to 1 John 5, 14 and 15 that says this. This is the assurance, assurance that we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and next line, and we know that if he hears us, we have what we ask of him. So 
We pray, and it says if you pray according to God's will, it's happening. 2 Peter 3.9 says God will everybody come to him. So when you pray for that loved one, when I pray for that person every day, and I pray for those people to come to Christ, I know God is hearing me. And that gives me hope, hello, because I apply the truth of the Scripture to my hopelessness rather than trying to figure it out myself. Experience. Remember when you weren't saved? <laughs> some of you, some of you like me, you were on somebody's hard case list, weren't you? I mean, raise your hand if you think you were probably on grandma's list or somebody's list who was praying for you to be saved at some point, and here you are. So your own experience tells you it can happen, right? Testimony time. Don't fall down. Testimony time. Who here can speak of a hard case that you saw come to Christ and show dramatic change in their life? My dad, I, when I, I was the first one in my family to come to Christ, and I brought Jesus home to my family, and my dad, I thought, I prayed, Lord, he's one, I, if there's one person you're never going to be able to save, it's my dad. Successful design engineer, really smart guy, really satisfied in his life, and didn't have any use for that. And man, when he came to Jesus, he came so hard. And not only did he change his life, my dad became one of those annoying Pentecostal Christians, you know, that's always trying to tell you you need to speak in tongues, you know, all this stuff. I mean, he didn't, he was like Peter and Paul rolled into one. It happens. That's hope, right? Hope. Give you one more thing, then you go. Scripture that we read, it's talking about Jesus coming and what God's going to do when this child comes. And there's such an interesting phrase in there. As in the day of Midian's defeat, this happened. Yeah, Midian's defeat, what's that got to do with Jesus coming? As in, it's going to be like when whatever that is. Well, you, when you want to understand what Midian's defeat is, you have to look in the book of Judges. Judges chapter 6. And God raised up a judge to lead the people out of the oppression of the Midianites. Anybody know his name? Gideon. Right on. Gideon. So the Midianites, they were coming. If you read Judges 6 and 7, they were coming. And they were camping in Israel and they were stealing their food. They were doing all kinds, they were oppressing them, they were killing them, they were enslaving them. The Midianites would come in. By the hundreds of thousands, they would come in and just ravage the land of the Israelites to the point, if you read it, that the Israelites were actually living in caves to hide from them when they came. This is an oppressor, right? This is living in the land of the shadow of death, right? Well, then an angel of the Lord comes to Gideon, who, when we find him, he himself is hiding in the winepress because of the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord says to Gideon, Mighty warrior. Gideon looks around. He's the only one there. And proceeds to correct the angel. Mighty warrior, you're going to be used to conquer the Midianites. Here's what, here's what Gideon says. He says, with all due respect, 
He says, I am the smallest man in the weakest clan. I'm the smallest man in the weakest clan. Clan was like a subset of a tribe. So Gideon saying to this angel, you couldn't have made a worse choice. I'm the, I'm the smallest guy on the worst team. And you're picking me to be the leader? And so he goes through a couple of exchanges with the Lord about an offering where fire comes and then a couple of fleeces, one wet and one dry. And finally Gideon caves and he says, okay, if you say so, we'll do it. And so Gideon goes throughout his area there and he raises up fighting men. The Lord's calling us to take on the Midianites. And all of his going up and down, he manages to raise up 32,000 fighting men. That sounds good. That's a good army. Except there were 120,000 fighting men among the Midianites. So he's got himself 32,000. So at least they're going to last a little while against 120,000, right? At least he's going to be able to be faithful, go and get a bunch of people killed, and then it's going to be over. And so he brings these 32,000 fighting men to the Lord and says, we're ready to go. And the Lord says, oh, no, you're not. You have too many. We're outnumbered. Four to one already. We have too many. Yeah, you have too many. He said, you can't go to war with that many because when you win, you'll think that you did it and not me. Yeah. So he says, I want you to lower the number. So he says to these 32,000 guys, he says, so if any of you are like seriously freaked out about this and the Midianites, you can go. Freaked out is in the Hebrew, isn't it? It's freaked out? Yeah. Okay. You're... You guys can go. We won't talk about you. And so 22,000 of them leave. (laughs) Wouldn't you? Yeah, I got a thing I got to do here, right? You got 10,000 guys left. So he goes, okay, Lord, here we are. 120,000 fighting men in the Midianites. We got 10. Uh, Number 12 to 1. We're ready to go die. The Lord says, no, you're not. You've got too many guys. This is how it goes. You've got too many guys. He says, I want you to have a smaller number so that when you win, everybody will know it's me. And he said, well, I'll, he said, I'll show you which guys. So he invites all these 10,000 guys down to the water to drink. And the Lord says this. You know the guys who drink nice and they get down on their knees and they kind of, you know those guys? Those aren't the guys you want. You want the guys, he says, who lap up their water like dogs. He says, you want the guys who drink like dogs. Those are the guys you're looking for. Out of 10,000, there were 300. 300, that was Gideon's army. 300 men. They drank like dogs. The Lord says, okay. Now you're ready to go. A couple other cool things happen with Gideon and the Lord. And then they go to battle against 120,000. God gives Gideon this idea. He says, divide them up into thirds. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Make them smaller. Three groups of 100 guys. When I give you this sign, I want you to have a trumpet. Everybody have a trumpet? Yeah, go get a trumpet. You need a trumpet for this. And a jar. 
And he says, when I give the signal, everybody blow their trumpet from three different positions and break the jar. Give the signal. Ta-da! 300. Ta-da! Break the jar. 120,000 guys go crazy. They start killing each other. They turn on each other, the Bible says. Can you see these 300 guys going, what the what? What's going on? Right? Blow some more, boys. Blow some more. They rout these guys. Here's the deal, and here's what all this has to do with Christmas. Gideon was the smallest, weakest guy in the smallest clan. And God said, you're exactly the person I'm looking for to do something great. He says, that's the way I roll. I make big things out of tiny things. I make big things out of tiny things. I make strong things out of weak things. And he said, I'm sending my son Jesus to come as a baby for unto us a child is born. He's going to be your ruler. Because I make big things out of small things. There's where your hope is. Your hope is in the fact that when you start this argument with God that says, I don't know enough Bible. I'm not hooked up, connected enough to be of any use to you. I can't do this. I can't do that. God says, perfect. You're just the guy I was looking for. Where's your hope today? Is your hope in your 401k? It's great if you have one. But how could your hope be there? Is your hope in your pile of stuff? Is your hope in your, what do you call that you get from college, the grades? What do you call that? Transcript? Is your hope in your transcript? See who I am? Where's your hope? Where's your hope? For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of the increase of his government, there'll be no end. Come, Lord, right? Come. Establish yourself, let's pray. Establish yourself here among us, Lord, in the power of this place, in the majesty of this place, in the simplicity of this place, Lord. Lord, we're a little more organized than usual with our wreath, but the, 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 the people are the same. We're still the same people desiring the same relationship with you. Lord, I pray for the hopeless today. I pray for those who are just in a, ser- in a time of serious hopelessness where something's happened or something is threatening to happen that has taken away their peace. It's taken away their confidence. And I pray now in the name of Jesus that you will come and that you'll establish yourself as, as the hope. The hope of Israel, uh, the hope of the church. Just pray in the name of Jesus that you'd come. If you're a person here today who'd like to receive prayer for hope, that hope could somehow be restored in your life, I'm going to invite you to come. I'm going to invite you to get up from where you are right now and just come on up here. Experience the Lord. Experience the life-giving, powerful hope that the Lord gives you in times of hopelessness or despair. Just respond to that 
stirring that the Lord is, is creating inside of you. Okay.